Hello, New Life Friday night. Can I invite you to stand, to come on in, to find your place? Psalm 96 says, ascribe to the Lord, the glory to his name. Ascribe to the Lord strength and honor. And I love that word ascribe because it means to recognize, to assign, to give over. And that's what we've come to do. We've come to recognize that we serve a God who is glorious, who is worthy of honor, who is worthy of praise, who is worthy of adoration tonight. So can we bring, can I challenge you? Can we bring an offering of worship tonight? Can we not just phone it in? Can we not just sing a song? Can we sing as if we really believe the things that we're singing about? Yeah? So can we raise our hands and just invite the presence of the Lord? He is here. All we're doing is singing to him who he is, what he has done, and saying you are worthy, God. We bring you an offering tonight.
seen what you can do, oh God of wonders, your power has no end. Things you've done before in greater measure, you will do again. Sing it again. Seeing what you can do. Seeing what you can do. Oh God of wonders, your power has no end. Things you've done before. There's no prison wall you can't break through, no mountain you can't move, all things are possible.
sing things like that and we're asking God to pour out his spirit it's not just so that we can feel the presence of God or just so that we can know the presence of God but it's because there is power in the presence of God in Luke chapter 4 we're going to have it here on the screen Jesus himself he's referencing this this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 61 he said the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me for what? To proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Let's leave that up. Church, when we're asking for the Spirit of God to be poured out on us, 
We're not asking it just for our own benefit, even though there is a benefit for us. We're asking for it so that we can be the salt and the light of the earth like he asks us to be, right? We're asking to be more and more like Jesus, that the spirit of the Lord would rest upon us. So let's sing that bridge one more time. Just sing, come awaken your people. Come awaken the city. God of revival. God of revival. Pour it out. Pour it out. Every stronghold strongholds of sin. Fall straight to the ground. Oh God of revival. Pour it out. Sing it again. Come awaken. Come awaken. God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Every stronghold, Holy Spirit, chains hit the ground. Oh God of revival, pour it out. So pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit out.
Well, hello, family. How y'all doing tonight? Good, good, good. Good to see y'all. Um, I had something different planned to say, but as we were singing, pour your spirit out, I felt an invitation from the Holy Spirit to all of us for us to give him a particular type of offering. So in the Bible, as you read through scripture, there are different ways to give. So there's, you know, you can give a free will offering, you can kill a bull and give it to the Lord, right? Whatever. Um, but there is a particular type of offering that you give to the Lord where you get to give him thanksgiving. You get to give him thanksgiving and praise. And that's what we do when we come to Friday night, we praise the Lord, we worship the Lord, we sing songs to the Lord. But as we were singing, pour your spirit out, there was the word I heard in my mind was lavish, lavish. We were asking God to lavish us with his love and his riches, which he always promises to do in the book of Ephesians, if you've read it. But what I want to do, we are asking God to pour himself out on us. How it works is that he is so willing to do that because he's God and he's kind. But the invitation I felt was for us to lean in a little bit more and pour something out on him. So as we do that, as we praise, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. So put yourself in a posture that you're comfortable with where you can revere the Lord. Personally, I'm going to get on my knees. You can get on your knees. You can lift your hands. You can sit in your seat. Do whatever puts you in a posture of reverence for the Lord. And we're going to take 10 seconds just to thank God. And some of you aren't very vocal. You aren't very verbal, which is fine. Just 10 seconds, just say, thank you, God. And that's it. You'll be done. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We glorify you. We honor you, Lord. We lavish you with our love and affection, God. Thank you, God. We are grateful for you, God. We're grateful for your kindness, Lord. We're grateful for your love, God. We're grateful for the way you sent your son to die for us, God. While we were yet sinners, you poured yourself out. You poured your love upon us, God. We thank you, God. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our adoration. You are worthy of our admiration. You are worthy of our praise. God, thank you that your presence is here in this room tonight. You didn't have to come, but you always do. God, as we bless and honor your holy name, God, these are just small gifts that we give to you. You are worthy of our very breath. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of every sacrifice. We, your people, the sheep of your pasture here at Friday night, give you the gift of our love, the gift of our affection, the gift of our worship. You are worthy, Lord. God, as we worship and as we give, God, I pray that your presence would settle in this room. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this room. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this room. We acknowledge your presence in this room. On this cold and snowy Friday, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you love to be with us. And we love to be with you. Lord, receive our worship. 
may the incense of our praise be pleasing to you. May every word that comes out of our mouth and every meditation of our heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for worshiping with me and let's continue to worship as we give. We got a a special person to honor tonight. Is Shandon in the house? Shandon Grafton, are you here? Can you come here, Shandon? Come here, Shandon. Shandon turned 14 years old yesterday. Give it up for this woman of God. Come on up here. Her dad, Free, is playing piano back here. But this girl is as excellent a woman of God as you would meet. She is going for Jesus. She's an awesome eighth grader. She serves around here. She's here every week and she's just a stellar woman. And we've got to celebrate a great 14 year old. So new life Friday night. Would you say happy birthday to Shandon? Love you. Proud of you. Yes, ma'am. So 
Now take two minutes, cross the aisle, hug a neck, shake a hand, be kind to each other, and then I'll come open the Bible. One, two, three, be nice. Happy birthday. So proud of you. It is also J.C. Caldwell's 31st birthday tonight. J.C., what a woman. Is Autumn here? I know it's Autumn's birthday, too. We just got a really good thing. Is it your birthday? It's your birthday? Happy birthday. Good night. We should just, like, not have a sermon and have some cake or something. No, we're going to preach. All right, very good. Um, what do I need to say. I heard a story this week. So, you know, uh, the first Friday of the year, I challenged everyone here to come 40 Fridays this year, right? So some of you were there, others of you are claiming. I didn't hear that. So I'm not under that. Okay. I ain't got to do all that mess. But I said that, and there was this darling 11 year old girl, Julia, who heard that. And she like internalized that mom. And she wasn't able to be here tonight. And she was so sad. And she said to her mom, mom, if I watch it online, does that count as one of mine? There was, I, I could have just fallen and cried when I heard that story. So Julia's watching. Julia, it counts. We love you. We bless you. Give it up for a great woman of God. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3. We're in week 3 going through this series, the Gospel of John, heading toward Easter. And I just love this book and, and 
tonight, I'm here. Can I just tell you kind of what's happening in my soul? Can I just give you just some access? I don't do this all the time, but I feel some real spiritual warfare around this one. And uh, I've had a great day. I've had a great day. I just, something kind of came on me right as the service was starting, like a heaviness. And that's when I know the devil's trying to shut something down. So would you just agree with me that the word would go forth and that God would do his thing and the spirit would have his way. So let me read John 3, 1 through 9, and then I'll pray. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Everyone say, at night. He came to Jesus at night and said, Hey, teacher, rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are what? So he's talking about, hey, we know you're a teacher from God and you've done these cool signs and Jesus completely ignores that. And he says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water And the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases and you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And Jesus says, so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray, Lord. Not by power, not by might, but by the spirit of the Lord. That's what the prophet said. How are we gonna get this done tonight? How is this room gonna hear from you? It's not gonna be by Daniel Grothy. It's not gonna be by tricky, clever, entertaining talk. It's not gonna be by... uh, being winsome and trying to win the room. It's gonna be by the power of the spirit of the Lord. And so we say, come Holy Spirit. And I just say tonight, I'm not afraid. <laughs> the enemy trying to bring heaviness. I just, I just shake that off in Jesus' name. Let's go. Let's have fun tonight. Let's preach the word of God and see what the Lord wants to do. So we invite you. Would you just say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your way. Let these words race through this place and let your word race through our hearts. Lord, make us your people tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Tonight, we're opening one of the most iconic texts in all of scripture, maybe the most iconic text, John 3, 16. We'll get there toward the end. 
It's certainly one of the most important conversations with Jesus that's recorded in all of his ministry. More children have memorized this verse, John 3, 16, than maybe any other verse on the planet. All of us have been watching a Sunday football game and some big old Yahoo in the background holding up the yellow sign, John 3, right? Someone's kicking a field goal and we're talking about Jesus Christ as Lord, right? You know, anyone ever seen those signs that maybe they just screen them out anymore? But John 3, 16, John 3, this text, means so much. Tonight, I want to take us into it and and see just a little further below the surface what's actually going on in this text. John 3, verse 1, it says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's a legend in his community. And he came to Jesus at night. Remember, this is early in Jesus' ministry, and he just performed his first sign. We talked about it last week, turning the water into wine, 908 bottles of wine in in today's measurements. Jesus gives them for this week-long wedding ceremony, and Jesus is showing us what it looks like, the future coming of the kingdom of God, where drink up, friends, there will be joy, there will be renewal, there will be blessing, there will be laughter at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and Jesus, his first act, his first miracle is pointing toward that great day of the Lord when there's no more tears, we're seated around the father's table and we're all celebrating the goodness of God. He takes our water and he turns it into heavenly wine. Jesus does this beautiful miracle and he's off to the races. At this point in his ministry, there were a handful of people eagerly associated with Jesus. At this point in his ministry, there were a handful of people who had come to follow him and denied themselves and they'd walked away from family businesses. Just a handful But more often than not, most people were sort of kicking the tires with Jesus at this point in his ministry. John chapter three, people are kind of scratching their heads. They're paying attention. They're going, interesting. What's going on with this guy? There's something different here. He teaches as one who has authority and not like these other teachers at the temple. They're paying attention. Flag that with Jesus. That's what they're saying. Flag this guy. We'll see what happens. Nicodemus had a lot to lose by being seen with Jesus. He was a tenured professor, essentially a highly paid member of the establishment. He was settled and venerated. His routines were locked in. He even had someone booking his appointments by now. He didn't do anything he didn't want to do. This guy was was known in the community at this point in his career. He didn't have to say yes to much. And he'd pop over to parliament on Mondays and and cabinet meetings every other uh, Thursday. And he's got a really good thing going. He, you know, just kind of, his job is to kiss, uh, you know, kiss the old women on the cheek and, and, and say hi to the babies and just be a decent guy walking through the market every once in a while, meandering around and taking his time and making sure that he's well-respected among the people. Nicodemus had a lot to lose by coming to Jesus. He wore fine robes as he meandered through the markets and all he had to do was was just kind of, he had an appointed job. He didn't have to run for re-election. His job was locked in. He was tenured. Why would someone so sophisticated lower himself to go to this young upstart rabbi who's just kind of making his way onto the scene but something deep in Nicodemus' soul said, I, this is true. And I gotta see. 
so he came to him at night. He was sneaking around. Before he opened up his door, he kind of looked down the alleyway because he had a reputation to uphold. And so he snuck out and didn't seem like anyone was following him. And he'd heard that Jesus was kind of staying across town. And Nicodemus, maybe he's got a friend coming with him. Maybe he's got the hood up on his robe. He doesn't want to be seen by the paparazzi of the day because he's a, he's a leader in the community. And he finds his way into this quiet house. And there he son of the living God. Something about Jesus acted as a holy disturbance in Nicodemus. It got his attention. Something about Jesus cut through the the anesthetized apathy that had sort of been taking over this older, sophisticated man's life. I don't know how long it had been since Nicodemus had felt those butterflies. Felt that expectation, that, that wondering, that, that hope, that curiosity. He was, he was leaned in. Is this the first time in 15 years where he'd felt childlike about his faith? But he had to know what was going on with Jesus. And he came to Jesus at night. He didn't want to be seen, but he wanted to see what was going on. And what did Jesus say to Nicodemus when he walked in? Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, except one be born anew. That person's not able to see the kingdom of God. Except that person be born from above, another translation says it. You miss out on the kingdom of God. Except one be born again. Except one be born of God. Except one undergo that overthrowing of the old order within you. Except one give themselves over to those palpitations, those butterflies, that ache and that longing and that thing that would make you leave your home late at night and kind of sneak around town because you gotta see if this guy is it. Except one be born from above, except one be born again, you miss out on the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus immediately says, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now I just want to take a minute here and defend the poor guy. Because we have nailed Nicodemus to the wall for no reason. We, we act like he's stupid and oh, I, he was not really thinking that it was possible for someone to climb back up in their mother's birth canal and do it all over again, okay? He is not a, 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 a dull literalist. He's not some uh, dull knife tucked in the back of the drawer. Nicodemus is sharp as a tack. Nicodemus is, he, he's gone to the greatest universities. There's a reason why he's been appointed for a lifetime duty because the guy is brilliant. Nicodemus wasn't confounded. His job basically required him to be the combination of theologian and lawyer and orator. This guy is not an idiot and we have misrepresented him for all these years. Poor Nicodemus, God bless him. He had brilliant analytical skills, a shimmering intellect. He, he, Nicodemus was a baller, and he, he, he was questioning Jesus with this rhetorical device, and he had a prophetic precedent to do it. Jeremiah 13, 23, Nicodemus would have almost memorized the book of the prophet Jeremiah, and he's going back to a moment when Jeremiah asks a rhetorical question. He says, can the Ethiopian change his skin? 
or the leopard its spots? What's the answer to that question? No. And they shouldn't. I've got some friends here in the, in the room tonight who are Ethiopian, just gorgeous people. Ethiopians are just stunning people, that, that rich skin. And, and he says, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or could the leopard change his spots? And Jeremiah answers his own rhetorical question. He says, neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. These people had walked away from Yahweh and they didn't care. And he was trying to cut through and wake them up. He says, yeah, you guys, just like the Ethiopian that can't change his skin or the leopard that can't change his spots, you have so determined to do evil that you want nothing to do with God's transformation. Go ahead and let me know how it works. Jeremiah is confronting them, provoking them as a prophet does. And Nicodemus was in essence saying to Jesus, how can a rebirth like this even happen, especially when you're older and you're set in your ways? Jesus, are you serious? Do you think that someone can really undergo a drastic transformation later in life? Jesus, come on, let's be honest and let's, let's work in reality here. Jesus, you're asking too much of these people born again, just kind of let us wait around for heaven. Don't ask us to be invited into the adventure of a lifetime. Don't ask us to sacrifice. Jesus, don't ask us to live on the edge of faith. Jesus, you're asking too much. Just leave it alone. You know that you can't ask someone to undergo that kind of a radical transformation, especially later in life. And we understand this because the word on the street in our day day and age is that Old people can't change their minds on big issues. We know this because we say, it's hard to teach an old dog. You all knew that. Because we just know, like, someone can't grow up with racism deeply rooted in their heart and then get to 65 years old and go through a radical transformation of the heart and actually love every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. That's asking too much, Jesus. Or is it? We all know that, 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 you, that you can't, uh, we, we just know that Jews can't love Samaritans and Samaritans can't love Jews. Like Jesus, just kind of get us through to the end of all things and make things right, but don't ask us to live by faith. Don't ask us to become new. Don't ask us to be born again. Jesus, we know that you can't teach men to honor women as equals after millennia of patriarchal madness. Jesus, you're asking too much. Just leave it alone, Jesus. And Jesus keeps going for the jugular. Unless you're born again, unless you undergo the radical transformation, you miss out on the kingdom of God. We all know that you can't teach rich people to love and to share their resources with poor people. That's the word on the streets. We have to be tribalistic and we have to be classists and we have to just kind of stay separate. And No one wants to talk to people who are different than them. You can't teach entrepreneurs to think of themselves as stewards instead of owners. And you can't teach Hootsies to to love Tootsies. And you can't teach Tootsies to forgive Hootsies in Africa. And you can't teach Christians to love Muslims. And you can't teach Muslims to love Christians. Jesus, leave it alone. You can't do that. Jesus comes along and says, or can you? And frankly, I don't want to be invited into a faith that says you can't. You can't be free 
What did Jesus die for on the cross outside of Jerusalem on that dark Good Friday night? If Jesus died on the cross and we can't be free, he wasted his time. Jesus, you can't, how can a person be born again? How can a person undergo the radical transformation? How can a person take up their cross and deny themselves and come and follow anyone? Jesus, you're asking too much. And yet Jesus keeps asking. Jesus keeps offering newness. Jesus keeps inviting us into this vigorous, vibrant adventure of faith. Jesus keeps saying, anything is possible with God. Do you see what Nicodemus was wrestling with in front of Jesus? Racism is not something you're born with. It's something you're taught Take five one-year-olds tonight and put them up in one of these rooms and give them toys and just watch them. You put a Pakistani kid and a Brazilian kid and a Norwegian kid, just pasty white. You put a Japanese kid. You put an American kid, some, some kid from Alaska up there. Five of them and there's, there's toys and there's joy and there's snacks and there's food. And I promise you the Japanese kid and the American kid will not be arguing about Pearl Harbor and Hiroshima and Nagasaki at the end of the night. I promise you. They will not be rehearsing old wounds. They'll be tickling each other and playing with each other and probably pulling on the same toy. That's as violent as it will get. Mine. It's just, but they'll be playing and they won't see, oh my gosh, you're from, where, you're, where are you from? They're just, you're humans. Get over here. I love you. Let's play. Are you hungry? Do you want to come over to my house? You have to teach people to hate each other. Over the years, we're trained to nurture old animosities. And it's destroyed. And frankly, it's just a terrible way to live. Who wants to walk into a room where you kind of have a pre-prescribed knowing of who you're supposed to hate? God have mercy. What a waste of a life. And Jesus knows it, and so you know what he says? Hey, do you want to be born again? Do you want to actually live? Do you want to know what love truly feels like? Do you want to know how to bless those who curse you? Do you want to know how to break the curse of hatred and cynicism and darkness and and race? Do you want to know? Jesus says, I'll teach you. I will retrain you. I will open up heaven over you. I I will make it so you can be born from above, but you have to want that more than you love your old animosities. And so Nicodemus goes, yeah, well, you can't teach an old dog. And Jesus goes, what if you can? And so if racism and hatred are something that you're taught, can't they also be unlearned? Can't newness of love be taught by the spirit of Jesus? Can't holiness be taught to people who are bound in, in perversion and darkness? Can't kindness and patience be taught by the spirit of Jesus in a a society that is determined to destroy itself? 
Can't joy and generosity be taught by the spirit of Jesus in an age that circles up the wagons and lives looking over our shoulders? Jesus says, you can be born again, but you gotta want it. You gotta believe that it's possible. You gotta pay the price. You gotta follow me and deny yourself and lay down the old animosities. I promise you it's possible, but you have to want it. Here's the major thrust of Jesus' early discourse with Nicodemus. He essentially says your, your heart must be reborn from the beginning. Your heart must be taken back to newness. Your heart must be retrained in rightness. Every one of us must be born anew, must undergo a radical change to see the kingdom of God. And this is exactly what David prayed when he threw his life away in Psalm 51. He said, have mercy on me, oh God. Have mercy on me, oh God. I used to be the man after your heart. I used to be the man singing songs out in the fields with the sheep. I used to be the man that was innocent. I used to be the man that was pure, but then I got all this power and then it corrupted me from the inside out. And then I finally took someone's wife and destroyed his life, killed him. And that day, I believe the spirit of Jesus who has always been woke David up and invited him back into a radical rebirth, a transformation. Hey, David, you must be born again. Hey, David, I can make you that young man again. I can make you that innocent one again. I can make you that gracious one again. But David, you've got to want it. And he says, have mercy on me, oh God. Jesus, in this back and forth with Nicodemus, he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. If you would memorize John 3, 6 and just pray it for the rest of your life and invite the Holy Spirit to heal you, I promise you it will radically transform, transform your life. Flesh gives birth to flesh. I have three children. I have the option to raise them in hatred and in violence and in, and in opposition against each other. I could Turn my kids into monsters. And you know who you gotta hate, kids? You gotta hate these people and you gotta hate those people because they're all stupid and we're the smart ones. I could do that and I would destroy my children if I did that. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But look at this, spirit, capital S. Do you see this? I underline that. Spirit gives birth to lowercase s, spirit. If I want to play by these rules, it will work in the wrong direction. And my flesh will create flesh within my people that I'm influencing. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Holy Spirit, the capital S, Spirit, gives birth to spirit. And so if you truly long to be clean, the Holy Spirit of Jesus will make you clean. If you truly long to love, the Holy Spirit of Jesus will teach you and take you into an apprenticeship in love. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to clean spirits. And Jesus says, you can be born again, but you have to know which one you're going to. Are you worshiping at the altar of flesh? Because if you are, it will give birth to flesh. But if you live your life in the presence of the clean, crisp, beautiful, holy spirit of Jesus, you will become clean. Jesus is saying that all things are possible with God. Here's what Jesus is essentially saying. Your mom and your dad made you and they trained you the first time, but the spirit of God can remake you and retrain you the second time. 
John 3.16, now we come to maybe the most iconic text in all of the Bible. And Jesus famously is looking this Nicodemus, this, this leader, and you know Jesus' heart is so moved with compassion. Jesus is aching that someone who is powerful would lay down his power and become childlike again so that he could be re-spirited. And he looks at him in John three sixteen. Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life, everlasting life. God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave, Jesus is talking about himself. He gave his only begotten son that whoever, Nicodemus, you can choose to believe tonight. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Life. One of the worst things we could do with this text is confine it to some distant eternity in heaven. Oh yeah, eternal life. Like when we die, if we've prayed the sinner's prayer, then we'll get swept up to heaven and we'll just live forever with the angels up in the clouds. No. It's a part of the story. It's just a, a sliver of the story. Actually, heaven is not the end of the story. This is not in my notes, but let me just theologically take you on a journey. Heaven is not the end of the story. Some of you are going, heresy! Heaven is life after death. Yes, you die, Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So yes, if you die in Christ and you're a believer, you are ushered into the presence of Jesus and you're with the angels and the elders. Right, it's beautiful, heaven. But heaven is just life after death. You know what's coming after that? Life after life after death which is Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven, a holy Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God like a bride beautifully adorned for her bridegroom. And then I saw the new Jerusalem coming down and they're married together and there's no more sorrow and no more tears and no more mourning and no more suffering for the old things have passed away. And Jesus says, write these things down for these words are trustworthy and true. So yes, when you die, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're gonna be with him in in glory, right? But that is not the end of the story. The end of the story is Jesus Christ coming in on the eastern sky with the white horse and the trumpet call of God saying, let's make all things new. And he comes and he joins heaven with earth and there will be no more sadness. Jesus will resurrect the world again. So one of the worst things we could do is say everlasting life just means like once you die, you go to heaven and then the story stops there. That's not what he's saying. For God so loved the world that he begave his begotten son. Some of us think that it says for God so loved heaven that he gave gave his only begotten son. No, for God so loved the world and he wants to heal the world right now and not just wait for heaven. God wants to heal racism right now and not just wait for heaven. God wants to heal poverty right now and not just wait for heaven. God wants to teach us to forgive those who have cursed us right now and not just wait for heaven. For God so loved the world that he wanted to get it done and get it inside of us right now so that right now we are living eternal life. Eternal life invades us right now. Eternal life takes us over right now. We begin practicing the future in the present. That's what Jesus is saying. 
God loved the world that he wanted to heal you in the here and the now so that you are just on a natural trajectory toward eternal life. And when you show up there, you'll be practiced. God does not love heaven so much that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved the world that he would teach us to begin to love one another now. And you can only do that if you're reborn from above. The salvation of Jesus is not just for eternity. Jesus has come so that we don't have to perish while we're still living. so that we don't have to perish while we're still living. You can live eternal life today. You can be healed today. You can forgive the person that destroyed your life today. And as that rebirth, and it's radical, as that rebirth happens deep in your spirit, Heaven is just the natural progression of your life because you have eternal life in you today. That's why God sent his son. That's why Jesus came to pay the price so that we could have heaven in us today. If you have eternal life, it means... You have the pre-existent, pre-fall life of God inside of you. If you have eternal life, you're not just waiting for some future in heaven. If you have eternal life, you have the ancient holiness of God animating your present as you walk toward God's beautiful future. Eternal life is past, present, and future in us right now. God was, he is eternity. He was and is and is to come. And so if eternal life gets in us, what happened before Genesis three when we destroyed the world? His holiness that is preexistent eternal holiness gets inside of us right now. And of course that will be a natural march toward the, the future holiness and eternity of God. But friends, I'm here to tell you today, the God who was and is and is to come, the God who is eternity himself wants to get the holiness of his eternal nature inside of us. And Jesus says, if you come and say yes to me, you get all of that in you today. Yes. Friends, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have everlasting life right now. One story. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there's this legend that I remember as a little boy. Reverend Wade Watts. I want to show you a picture of Reverend Watts. Yeah, go ahead. He is not a bald white man. Reverend Wade Watts pastored a small black church in McAllister, Oklahoma. I've been by the church before, an amazing legacy, faithful man of God, a preacher's preacher. He, he marched with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he led the Oklahoma NAACP for 16 years, a man of God fighting for America to live up to her creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. 
and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. He's spent his life believing this and fighting for this and struggling for this and preaching the word to his people. Small church in McAllister, Oklahoma. Powerful man of God. Very few people knew him then, but heaven knew him. And he preached every single week and all of a sudden, and I, I, don't, I don't say this lightly and I, I'm aware of the weight that comes into the room when I even say this, but the Ku Klux Klan came and stood out in front of his church and burned, the first thing they did was they burned a cross in the church's front lawn. And they said, cease and desist. You better get out of here, Dr. Watson. You better stop proclaiming that message, Jesus is Lord, and that all men are created equal. You need to quit that. And he said, if if you need to kill me, go ahead and kill me. But I cannot stop. And every week he preached the word of God. And finally they came and they burned his church down. That was the second step. And everybody knew there was this young white guy who was the, the grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. And he was this young guy just salty and trying to intimidate everyone no one it was sort of an open secret of who did it and the guy's name was johnny lee clary burned the church down the grand dragon of the kkk and one night a debate was set up on the radio in tulsa where i'm from so i have all these memories of reverend watson the icon that he was and he was he was poor but he was strong in the faith He didn't have much clout, but in the spirit, he had spiritual authority. And you know spiritual authority is different than power. This man had power. And one night, there was a debate set up on the radio, in the radio station, with with Reverend Dr. Watson, with Johnny Lee Clary. And it was the open secret that Clary is the one who torched this man's church. And and Johnny Lee Clary got to the radio station first, and he was there. And and, and I want to read you this. The Los Angeles Times actually came to Tulsa and interviewed everybody years after this story happened. And I want you to read what the Los Angeles Times said. said on a night in 19... 79, KKK leader Johnny Lee Clary patted his white sheet that he was wearing his robe as he waited in a radio station for his debate opponent, a civil rights activist named the Reverend Dr. Watts. Clary expected Watts to hate whites as much as Clary hated blacks. But when Watts walked into the broadcast booth, he smiled and he told Clary that he loved him. Clary, then the clan's grand dragon, was stunned. He had set a fire that damaged Watts Church in McAllister, Oklahoma, a crime for which he was never prosecuted. And it was that night that Clary first began to doubt his racist convictions. Clary, 10 years later, would get saved and repent and make restitution. And he ended up speaking at Dr. Watts' funeral. And he said, this man changed my life. This man showed me who Jesus was. And essentially what he was saying is, finally I bumped into someone who had eternal life in them right now. And death cannot stand in the way of eternal life. The death of hatred and bigotry and racism that was bound up and taught to Johnny Lee Clary was driven out when he met a man of God who lost a church to this guy. And he walked in and he said, 
It's good to meet you, man. God, I love you. And death cannot stand in the way of everlasting life. And Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, I'm telling you, Jesus is batting a thousand. He doesn't miss. When eternal life takes over a human being, everything changes. Jesus is undefeated. Jesus is the one who can take a scoundrel like Johnny Lee Clary and turn him into an evangelist through a man like Dr. Watts who is carrying eternal life in him. Friends, I'm telling you, eternal life does not lose. Death cannot stand in the way of eternal life. Will you stand with me tonight, church? Can I show you this one last passage and then we're gonna do something a little bit different here tonight. I read you about Nicodemus in John 3. He came to Jesus at night. You remember? Sneaking around. He was tenured, he was powerful, he had everything to lose. Why would he even demean himself to come visit this poor Jewish rabbi? But something in him said, that's true. He came to Jesus at night in John 3. I want you to see John chapter 19. Later, Jesus has just been crucified, hung up on Good Friday. He's dead on the cross. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took away the body of Jesus and he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, which today they say is worth about 150 to $200,000. Taking Jesus' body off the cross, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen, and this was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. I want you to see Nicodemus came at night in John 3. You must be born again, Nicodemus. John 19, he comes at the risk of his life. He could get murdered for this. And he says, I don't care. And he brings 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh, which is his entire retirement. And he wraps Jesus in linens and and puts these oils on his body to prepare him for burial. He pays all of the price. He'll do it at the cost of his life. Why? Because eternal life got inside of Nicodemus. And eternal life is undefeated. So friends, here's what I wanna do. Before we receive communion, I felt to open up the altars tonight. And I know that some of you are here and immediately you know you must be born again. You know that something is broken in you. You know that something is fractured. You know that something is amiss. You know that it's not working. You know that you have fallen asleep at the wheel and you know that I would never manipulate a moment. We don't do this every week, but I knew that tonight we needed to open the altars to say, if you know that you're the one standing in front of Jesus and he says, you must be born again, come on down tonight. 
We're gonna sing this song. We're gonna worship before we receive communion. But this is the most important moment of the night that we could respond. And so if you feel Jesus is speaking to you tonight, if you know that something needs to be reborn inside of you and you need a radical transformation, I'm saying right now, step out and come on down front here. We're gonna worship Jesus. And by the power of his spirit, eternal life is gonna be released here tonight in a powerful way. Can you say amen? All right, who's coming? The altars are open. We're gonna worship Jesus through this. What I want you to do is come down. I want you to surrender your life to him and let his spirit be poured out. Come on during this song, let's worship, come on.
prayer of confession up and put it on the screen. We're going to pray with King David. The words that oozed out of him on that day when he knew he needed to be born again. And so this is, first of all, thank you. I bless all of you. I, 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 I'm proud of all of you. I know this couldn't have been the easiest thing for you to do tonight, but we respect your honor for the Lord. We respect your courage. And we bless you. But this is a prayer for all of us to pray tonight. So it's going to come up on the screen, and I want you to join me in praying these words by saying, Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And all God's people said, amen. And now I pray, can you all open your hands to receive? I pray for a fresh release of everlasting life in this room tonight. Eternal life, the true kind of life. The life that like Dr. Watts will make you bless someone who tried to destroy you. Give us that eternal life tonight, Jesus. Jesus, make us clean, make us joyful, make us kind, make us gracious, make us full of faith and courageous. Lord, make us strong in you. Give us eternal life. We want to be born again tonight, Jesus. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Lord, let the Holy Spirit give birth to newness on the inside of us so that we'd be transformed in every way. We pray, Lord, a fresh release of eternal life in this room tonight. And all God's people said, amen. What I want us to do now is you're making your way, friends, back to your seats. We're gonna come through for communion. Our communion servers, actually, you can just get your communion elements while you're here. But our communion servers are coming forward and we're gonna worship the Lord and sing this, I believe. So come on forward, get your communion elements, and in just a second, I'll come back up and we'll receive together from Jesus.
just singing these words as filler we believe in the name of Jesus (laughs) like he's really the only one he's the only way he is the door he is the shepherd he's the bread of life he is the cup that will never run dry he's the king of kings and the Lord of Lords he's the only one who kicked death in the teeth and walked past it and is living from among the dead Jesus is Lord and so this is why we're here we're here because only Jesus has eternal life and we need it so as we come to the table tonight we come in that spirit would you close your eyes and just begin to call on the name of Jesus 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 we need you only you can do the work Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took the bread And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Essentially what he's saying is, I have come so that I can take over your life from the inside out. And as you take this bread in, you're taking in by faith the very life of Jesus that begins to work on you from the inside out to make you new. And so tonight, receive that bread from Jesus Christ. This cup, he says, is the new covenant and it's given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. And as often as you do this, Jesus says, remember, (laughs) remember me. And so let him wash away the old story. Let him fill you with his newness of life. Let him make you to be the one who's been born again tonight. Drink up to your forgiveness and your salvation in Jesus' name. One last thing, let's sing all hail King Jesus before we go. Come on, church. Can we just go for it before we leave? Let's spend it all tonight.
blessing as we go tonight. Jesus has answered. He has delivered. He has done what he's promised. He said, every time you gather two or three of you together in my name, there I am. And so, Jesus, we bless you for being here tonight. We love you for your word, Lord. We love you for waking us up tonight by your spirit. We love you for healing us and forgiving us and giving us everlasting life right now. We love you for it, Jesus. And as we go, I pray tonight your blessing over them. May the Lord our God bless you, friends, and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift his bright, smiling countenance upon you. And may he grant you and all your people his shalom tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here tonight? A couple things real quick. Real quick, our prayer team's coming down. If you need extended prayer over any issue, we would love to agree with you. If you're new, come see us at Guest Central. Third thing, I'm preaching this again on Sunday for all you double dippers. So if that's you, I'll see you on Sunday. Um, Go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. Much love.